0: And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanagers, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered around him, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, He is out of his mind. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother.
1: Good morning, Covenant. Good morning. So good to be with you guys this morning. And I want to say thank you to Maggie and to Scott for taking that time to record that video. What a wonderful video about biblical community and what it really means. And I love what Maggie said in that video when she said, you know, I didn't realize what I was really missing out on until I got back into biblical community, right? And in a a way, also with this pandemic, community has been taken away from us, and we're realizing just how much we need one another. And so I ran across this quote from family psychology associates. Uh, They're a practice over on the West Coast. Uh, They're a bunch of psychologists, and they wrote this blog back in May, and I thought it was very insightful. I wanted to share it with you this morning. Why the COVID-19 pandemic is causing more than just a viral infection. We crave connection. Human beings, like all our fellow mammals, are essentially herd animals. We are social creatures wired from birth for bonding. We bond with our caregivers to survive infancy and childhood. We bond as adults to navigate and thrive in an increasingly complex world. When these bonds break down, we suffer. When these bonds are intact, we can fulfill our true potential. Now, don't get wrapped around the axle about being called a herd animal, right? (laughs) Realize maybe these, these folks don't really have a relationship with God, but what I love about this is the fact that even though they don't have a relationship with God, they are speaking his truth. They're speaking his truth. And wherever truth is found, it's God's truth. It's God's truth, right? And this is so profound. They say that wired from birth, wired from birth. And that's so very true. We were made to be together. That is how God designed us to be in community, He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And when those bonds are broken, we suffer. When we're alone, we're not fulfilling our true potential. And so there's truth in that statement. We fulfill our true potential when we're together. Community existed before we even got here on the planet. For all of eternity past... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed in community. And so in a way, you and I, being made in the image of God, that's, that's part of what it is to be made in the image of God. God existed in community, we also. And it's astounding to me, to me as we look at the different pictures of heaven in the Bible, we don't see a Lone Ranger. We don't see an individual. We see a people of God called, all humanity, right? From every nation, tribe, and tongue, representing all of humanity, a full community of people called to worship Him. And so there are no lone rangers in heaven. This morning I want to put forward to you this takeaway truth that our greatest need is to be with Jesus. Our greatest need is to actually be with Jesus, to be in relationship with Him, and God's primary way for us to be in fellowship with Him is to be in fellowship with one another. And so the primary way that we've chosen to provide this here at Covenant is through our discipleship ministries, through our small groups. And you heard the testimony this morning from Scott and Maggie. We're kind of a big church, and it's hard to get to know people. so we have to do that in a smaller setting. And I love what Scott said. He said, you know, he he gave you this concept of knowing people and being known. And that's a little bit about what biblical community is about, being in a place where you can be known and you can actually know people at a real level. Well, this morning, as we look at the scripture before us, we're going to look at a model for biblical community through the lens of Jesus's Small group, his group of 12. And as we observe this model, we're going to learn three things about biblical community. Three M's I'm going to give you. Biblical community is messy, biblical community is meeting with Jesus, and biblical community is missional. It's messy, it's meeting, and it is missional. So we're going to jump right into that very first point that it is messy now if jesus was going to found a new worldwide religion if he was going to overtake the planet with a revolution don't you think he would have started with some better people right you and i if we were if we were planning this out we would have picked some really good people we would have picked maybe a a chief priest a city elder You know, a leading businessman, a scholar, people of that caliber, but that's not who Jesus picked. He didn't pick those type of people. This morning, we're going to look at some of these folks that he picked. We don't have time to look at every single one, but we're going to look at a few of them. And the first one that jumps right off the page to me and probably to you guys is found in verse 19. It's Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. I mean, did Jesus really know what he was doing when he picked Judas to be in his small group? This is the guy who would blow up his small group, scatter all of the group members. This is the guy who would have him arrested and betrayed. Did Jesus know what he was doing when he chose Judas? We know by scripture that, yes. He did know what he was doing. In John chapter 6, he says, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Jesus knew what he was doing. In verses 13 and 14, we see this also that Jesus called to, to himself those whom he desired. He called to himself people that he wanted. He knew what he was doing, he wanted Judas. That's a hard thing to accept. He wanted Judas more than that. It says in verse fourteen that he appointed them, and so we learn something about our great God when we look at this. We learn that God is sovereign. God is in control. We have this verse in Ephesians chapter one, and it says this: In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is working everything according to the counsel of his will. Nothing is going to thwart his will, not even evil, not even Judas. And God is going to choose Judas and use him to accomplish his very will. That's astounding. Now, I'm not saying, just so you know, I'm not saying that if you find that you have a Judas in your group, you don't deal with him. You should deal with him, right? But be comforted. Be comforted. God will even use the Judases in our midst to accomplish his very purposes. Well, let's take a look at another group of people, James and John. Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. You know, when we look at other parts of Scripture, we start to get an idea maybe of what Jesus meant when he called them the sons of thunder. Uh, In Luke chapter 9, as a reference, when Jesus is on a mission to a Samaritan village and the Samaritans reject him, what do James and John do? They go up to Jesus and they say, Shall we call down fire and incinerate these people? Right? (laughs) This is the kind of people James and John are. Let's burn them up. Um, They're impulsive. They're a little bit hasty. They're a little bit violent in their reaction. And in Mark chapter 10, there's this other account. which is very insightful. James and John, they kind of go take Jesus aside and they say, Hey, Jesus, come here. Come here. You know. Me and my brother, when you guys are in glory, can we sit on your left hand and on your right hand? Right? Can we have authority and power? Can we reign with you like that? And when the other disciples heard about it, what happened? They got indignant. I mean, what kind of people are these people? Do you really want guys like the sons of thunder in your small group? Whew. But that's what Jesus did. He called people like that. And then there's this guy, Peter. You know, there's a lot of caricatures that people have of Peter. For me, I think of Peter as a guy who, he's a talker. He just needs to say things. Sometimes he says things that are very profound, like, you are the Christ. Sometimes he says things that are not very profound, right? Um, This is also the guy that opposed Jesus when Jesus was talking about his will, his plan to go to the cross Peter opposed him. Do you want a guy like that in your small group? He deserted Jesus. He was his friend and then he deserted him. And then there's Thomas, known for being a doubter. Our modern day Thomas, maybe this is the guy in your group. You know, group leader, I don't think you should say that until I fact check everything with all of my trusted resources on the internet. How would you like that in your small group? It's hard to avoid the fact that Jesus chose to do life with messy people. These are the people that he desired and he called them to himself. He called to himself messy, messy people. He only had a few short years of ministry here on earth and that's who he chose. And so the reality is you're never going to find that perfect biblical community, that perfect small group, nor for that matter, you're never going to find that perfect church. Why? Because we're all, we're all messy. We're all broken. We're all sinners. And true biblical community recognizes our shared brokenness and our need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Andrea mentioned living authentically. It's one of the values that we have here. Living authentically means here at Covenant and in your small group, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay and to come that way. However, we don't want you to stay that way. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want you to find healing. We want you to find forgiveness. We want you to find hope but it's okay to be broken. And living authentically together means it's okay to to be real, to be raw. We can share our struggles together. We can share our burdens together. We can even share our failures. In true biblical community, there's no such thing as super-Christians. You know, we have this idea that there, some of us are, are better than others and that person is holier than, than me or better. There's, there's no such thing in the kingdom of God. The ground is completely level at the cross and we stand before God all in need of healing for our brokenness, all in need of forgiveness for our sins. Here's the reality. God uses messy community to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. God uses messy community. That, that hot mess of biblical community, He uses that. He actually uses that to, to make us more like His Son. You know, when I was thinking about all the small groups I've been in the past, I, I've been thinking about, wow, um, one of the common denominators is I bring my own sin to each and every one of those small groups I bring my brokenness. The fact that I'm most concerned about me. I'm self-absorbed. I'm, I'm opinionated, I'm, I'm judgmental. I think my way is the best way. I'm controlling, I like things to be done my way. But how will I get that exposed if I'm doing life all by myself? how will that get exposed? How will I have the opportunity to see my great need of Jesus if I'm doing life on my own? I won't. And furthermore, as I see my brothers and sisters in their sin, how will I get the opportunity to exercise patience, to grow in patience, to grow in love, to reach out and care and carry their burdens as well? That only happens in biblical community. It doesn't happen on the mountaintop all by yourself. It happens when we're together. Well, biblical community is messy. I want to jump to the second point that biblical community is meeting with Jesus. We see this in verse 14. So that they might be with him, so that they might be with him. And so, actually meeting with Jesus, it's not just simply meeting, it's being with Jesus. And I'm going to give you guys a little clue to the struggle of preachers. I thought, well, I can't say being because it'd be two M's and a B, right? That doesn't really work. And so I thought, well, maybe I should switch the two, B, two M's to B's and i have three B's. Well, that doesn't, you know, I couldn't figure that out. So this is what you got. You got three M's, Messy meeting and missional, but when you think of meeting, it's not simply a meeting. It's being with Jesus, being with Jesus. Ultimately, God wants us with him so that we might be with him in community, in relationship. Now, this idea, the fact that God wants us with him, I think we hear this often in church and we kind of get used to this fact that God, we take it for granted that God wants us in fellowship with him. But in reality, I want to bring you guys back to thinking about the fact that this is not something that we should expect. This is actually a startling idea that a holy God, you heard Christy this morning talking about God on the throne, a holy God would want us to be with him. It's not an obvious truth. And so to illustrate it this morning, I want to take about a minute and look at a video, and it's from uh, C.S. Lewis's Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. Some, who's, you guys are familiar with that? Um, the story, and I want to just set it up just a little bit for, for those of you who may not know the story, just to ge- give you some bearings what's going to go on here. Um, you're going to see a lion figure, and that lion, of course, even this morning I heard that, that great picture of the lion who is the lamb, The lion is the jesus figure the lion is jesus but then you have edmund edmund who betrays his brother and sisters and betrays aslan and then you're going to see the wicked the white queen and she's going to demand edmund's life so take a look at this video that boy will die that boy is a traitor he's a traitor he betrayed Aslan, he broke that vertical relationship, he betrayed his brothers and sisters, he broke that horizontal relationship. And if you know the end of the story, I actually watched the video a little bit this morning, just to be reminded, the, what happens? How, does, how do we fix this problem? We have this great scene of Aslan. What does he decide to do? He decides to offer his life for Edmund's life. He gives his life willingly, and it's a, it's, a, it's a horrifying scene. It's a scene of a great lion becoming a lamb, led to the slaughter. They actually sh- shave him down. They shave that great mane on the lion, and, and they hold him down, and they're shaving him, and the knives are flashing. It's, a, it's like a sheep before its shares, silent and the witch plunges the knife into Aslan and kills him. Why, why would Aslan do that for Edmund? Edmund was a traitor. Why not just let the white witch have him? He had no obligation, but the reality is, Aslan wanted to restore a relationship between Edmund and his brothers and sisters. He wanted to restore a relationship with himself, and that's what Jesus wants for us. It's it's an astounding fact that a holy God wants us to be with him. He wants us to be with him. It's amazing. In Romans chapter 5, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now you and I, we can probably think of a few examples where someone has given their life for a loved one, a family member. But what example do you have of someone giving their life for an enemy, for a traitor. That's what Jesus does to bring us into community with himself. Long ago, when Adam and Eve, they fell in the garden, that vertical relationship with God was broken, that horizontal relationship with each other was broken. And we see this because they're hiding from God. God. And then there's this blame shifting going on. Adam's saying, it wasn't me, it was her. And then she's saying, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. The horizontal relationship, community broken. Community with each other, community with God broken. But the good news is that God has been at work restoring community so that we might be with him and so that we might be with each other. I love the fact that we had a glimpse of Revelation this morning. I'm going to give you another glimpse. Take a look at this from Revelation chapter 21. This is the New Jerusalem. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Eden restored. You see that? God now back dwelling with his people. Community restored. And I think it's stunning. It's stunning to me to look at the comparison between the New Jerusalem and the Garden. What started in the Garden, and now the New Jerusalem. Do you realize there was a river coming out of the Garden of Eden? There's a river. If you look in the next chapter in Revelation chapter 22, you're gonna see a river. The river of life, now streaming through the middle of the New Jerusalem. What else was in the garden? It was the tree of life. The tree of life is also in the new Jerusalem. And so you see what's happening here. The new Jerusalem is not just simply a garden anymore. It's not just a garden. Because the garden has grown up. The garden has grown up to be a city. A city. A community of believers worshiping God. When God gave what we call the cultural mandate so long ago to Adam and he said, multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. This is what he had in mind. No longer a garden. This is what was supposed to have. And he was calling to himself. He wanted a people of God. And so the apex of all of God's creation the fulfillment of what Eden was supposed to be is the new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem is a community. It's a community of people. It's God back in fellowship with man and man with one another. We talk about our mission here at Covenant often. And by way of reminder, bringing gospel restoration to people's deepest needs in our broken world. And people's deepest need is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, to be with him. That's why you were created, to be with Jesus, to be in community with Jesus, and to be in community with each other. That's how we were wired from the very beginning. Well, biblical community is messy. It's meeting or being with Jesus and it is missional, the third M. We see this in verses 14 and 15. There's a reason that he calls us to himself. He calls us to himself so that we might be sent out to preach and to cast out demons. And so we have a purpose. It's not just to sit in fellowship and be with Jesus It's to engage in the work that God is doing all across this planet, to be part of that work. Now, when we come to scriptures like this, we have to pay attention. Uh, You might not have picked up on it last week, but Jerry mentioned a hermeneutical principle. That's a big word. He, He mentioned a principle of interpretation. So when we look at passages like this, the question is, is this something descriptive or is this something prescriptive? Is it simply describing something, or is it prescribing something? This passage is describing something, because we're not all called to go out and preach. We're not all called to go out and cast out demons. In fact, I think over lunch you guys need to work that out in terms of the, the casting out demon stuff. You guys can discuss that. I'm not going to deal with that this morning. Uh, but. But when we see a descriptive passage, we ought to look at it and ask ourselves this question Is there an applicable principle? Is there something here that we can learn when we read this? And when we compare it to other parts of Scripture, does it ring true? And there is something here for us. We're not all called to preach, but Paul says this You are ambassadors for Christ. You are all ambassadors for Christ. And what does that mean? Wherever you go, at work, at play, in the neighborhood, you represent Christ wherever you go by your words and by your deeds. And in that way, you are proclaiming by your life. You are preaching. And in the same way, brothers and sisters, we have an authority because our king is reigning on the throne and his Holy Spirit lives within us. And greater is he who lives within us than he who is in the world. And we have authority. And when you guys go out into the community and when you do things, when you're caring for people, when you're serving your neighbor, when you're loving the lost, you guys are ex- exercising authority. The Spirit of God is on the move. I love this scripture at the end of Romans chapter 16. It says this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Do you realize that? The enemy, the great enemy is crushed under our feet. It's not because we're great. It's not because we have power. It's because King Jesus is on the throne. He's ruling and he's reigning and his Holy Spirit lives within us. And when we minister in his name, we are pushing back darkness. We're trampling down the enemy. We're pushing on the gates of hell. That's the authority that we have. And Jesus in a few chapters later, we're going to learn that he he does. He sends out the disciples two by two. And they go out, you know, early on in the ministry and they do the work of the ministry and you know, it's not perfect, but they leave the nest. If we fail to leave the nest, we have fallen short. So I encourage you, don't just be a consumer. Don't enter into biblical community and say, I'm going to take in, I'm going to take in, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn, I'm going to build myself up, and it stop there. The Bible says that knowledge only does one thing. It serves to give us a giant head. It puffs us up, but our faith is supposed to be made manifest to the world. How? By our great knowledge? No. By our works. So we're to go out. We have a purpose that is greater than ourselves. You know, I shared with our small group leaders a couple uh, weeks ago this this wonderful piece of scripture. I want to share it with you guys this morning. but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, what? Your knowledge? No, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. True biblical community should be involved right here for us in our city in the flourishing of human beings. We should be involved in all sorts of things, bringing the love of Christ to people. I love the fact that I get to work here at Covenant. I get to work with <laughs> some amazing people. And, and when I see their faith in, in action, I, I tell you, it just builds me up. Our uh, deacons, led by Jeff Foles, They uh, teamed up with the Phil Hunefeld group this past week. They did a wonderful thing. They took lunch to the teachers over there at Lockmar Elementary. They blessed those teachers. And our teachers need a cup of cold water at a time like this. They need the love that we have. This is what it means to let your light shine. We have other groups that are involved at His Place Ministries, at the Food Pantry, at Love, Inc. And I tell you what, it just encourages my faith to see our church in action. Blesses my heart. And so we've looked at three M's of biblical community. Messy, meeting or being with Jesus, or missional. But the reality is sometimes our own sin keeps us from engaging in biblical community. Our own sin prevents us from engaging. Oftentimes, we don't think of it that that way. We think it's the sin of other people, actually, that prevents us from biblical community. We look at that group and we say, those people are pretty messy. I think I want to find a different group, (laughs) a better group of people. I want a group where, you know, I'll, I'll join a group so long as no one's there. Um, or the people that are there are like me. They think like me. I love what Maggie said. Embrace the diversity. Embrace the diversity. We use the excuse that it's other people's sin, but in reality, it's our people. It's our sin. We're, it's our pride. It's our ego. It's our self-absorption. Well, I want to close our time tonight and look at this scripture in Mark chapter. 3 verses 20 through 21. And then Mark, as he often does, he jumps around quite a bit. Uh, And then we're going to skip down to verses 31 through 35. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. He has lost it. This is his family. They're hindering the ministry of Jesus. They're hindering the ministry of God Almighty. Now, are they doing that because they're concerned about Jesus? Or is it something in themselves? Maybe they're worried about that crazy family member being out there and tarnishing their reputation. Maybe they're worried about that crazy family member messing up their business, their sin, keeping them from community. And then in verses 31 through 35, we have this vivid picture. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they were outside. They sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here, are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and sister and brother. The ones who are on the inside were people who were following him. They were in community with him, and it's astounding to see that his family is on the outside. His family is on the outside. Their sin kept them from being in that community, from being on the inside? Well, maybe this morning you might find yourself a little bit like me, too self-absorbed, judgmental, opinionated, thinking too highly of myself, controlling. What is keeping you from community with Jesus? What is keeping you with, from community with each other? The reality is we're never going to want to take that risk and engage in community with each other until we see what Jesus has done for us. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you understand what was happening? Jesus, the son of God, had the perfect relationship with the father for All eternity past, for time without end, he was in perfect relationship with the Father. If there ever was a perfect father-son relationship, that was it. He had perfect community, and he willingly gave it up. Why? So that you could be brought in, so that you can have community with one another, so that you can have community with Jesus. Jesus gave up that perfect community so that you could have perfect community. That's the picture of the new Jerusalem. That's why he did it. And until we understand that, we're not going to take that risk with our own sin, being exposed, going into biblical community, being raw and being real. Who wants that? It's too risky. It's embarrassing at times. It's hard. People are irritating, right? Until we see what Jesus has done for us, He went to great lengths to purchase for us so that we could be in community with him. We know the end of the story for his mother and brothers that some of them will go from being outsiders to insiders. That's our gracious God. And here's the reality. All of us, at one point or another, we were outside of the fellowship of God. We were outside of the community of believers but God, through Jesus Christ, that's what He does. He brings us into community. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are this kind of God, laying down your life for traitors, for betrayers, for people who have broken a relationship with one another, and people who especially have broken a relationship with you. That is the God that we serve. You are worthy of all of our praise, and you are calling to yourself a people from all of humanity to worship you. Father, we're so thankful for your grace that you show us in your Son. Father, help us by your Holy Spirit to lean into biblical community and not to pull away. We can only do this by your Holy Spirit.